Hello, welcome to the Orclavis Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'm here with Steve. Hey. And not Matt. Hey. It's Rob. Yep. Back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Matt couldn't make it today, so Rob has kindly agreed to fill in for him. So, um, Wizards released some errata for 5th edition, correct? Yep. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah, so uh, we're just going to head down the list. Um, a lot of these are, are pretty basic, you know, oops, that was a typo, no big deal, or just a little rules clarification, which I'm always all for. Um, so yeah, so let's get started. Uh, they go right through the PHB, uh, races, uh, the Dwarven Combat Training. Well, let's back up. It's, so this is just errata for the PHB? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, they haven't done one for any of the splat material they've released, or the DMG, or the Monsters Manual. <coughs> well, there is a little footnote in the bottom of this that the Monsters Manual version of Monsters is the definite version now. Yeah, they, they say anytime that there's any sort of disparity, consider the Monster Manual authoritative. Okay. Um, okay. That's especially good for people with familiars, you know, with the imp question. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Magic resistance. Yeah. Um, okay. So right, races. Um, so there's just three ones in here. There's dwarven combat training, drow magic, and infernal legacy, presumably for the tiefling. So um, apparently the dwarves were supposed to be proficient in the light hammer, not the throwing hammer. Pretty minor thing there, but hey, glad to have it clarified. And both the uh, drow magic and the infernal legacy. Um, refer to spell-like abilities that both the uh, the Dark Elves and the Tieflings ref- uh, gain. And it says once per day in the PHB, but they clarify that the, those powers are only recovered after taking a long rest. So even if more than a day passes, if you've been pulling an all-nighter, you do not get those spell-like abilities back. Okay, uh, next up, Bard, uh, Song of Rest. Um, it says the creature only regains extra hit points if that creature spends one or more hit die at the end of a short rest. Um, that was always sort of how I interpreted it prior, um, but I guess it's always better to be clearer about it. Um, then uh, Fighter, the Fainting Attack. The advantage is lost if not used on the turn you gain it. So when a Battlemaster Fighter uses the maneuver Fainting Attack, uh, lets them use bonus action, and then they pick a specific creature within five feet, their next attack against that creature gains advantage. But this just clarifies you don't get to faint against somebody then you know do three rounds worth of other stuff and then go back and stab him with advantage so it, pretty sensible i think a lot of people would have assumed that um but again good to have it clear <clears throat> uh the monk there's uh three things in there uh deflect missiles they actually added in a range for you know, whenever they they have that power where they can like catch an arrow that's shot at them and then fling it back using their key um, they said the range is uh, 20 feet without disadvantage, and 60 feet is considered so long range. Prior to that, they didn't specify a range? Right. No, I always just assumed it was whatever the weapon was. Um, yeah, it's it was kind of vague, um, but now we know for sure, so good. Um, the uh, what is the Four Elements Monk gets that power, Eternal Mountain Defense, um, but that was supposed to be available at level 17, not 11th, so that's probably going to break a few people's builds. Oops. <laughs> yeah, but um, okay, cool. Uh, and then similarly, Water Whip uh, requires an action, not a bonus action. So it was probably a little too strong before then. <clears throat> now, the first big one. Paladins and their Divine Smite. Um, so th- I think this was arguably, um, I don't know if I want to call it broken, but one of the more exploitable mechanics in the game. Um, so Paladins have the, the special ability at level 2, they get Divine Smite, and they can sacrifice a spell slot in order to do extra damage with a melee weapon attack. Um, so it's, it starts out at 2d8 for a first level spell s- slot and um, it does an extra d8 against, what is it, Rob? Undead and Fiends? and I want to say it was Undead and Fiends. And yeah, I might be getting it mixed up with... Um, I want to say also Evil Dragons, but that, I think that's actually Pathfinder. Yeah, I think so too. 
Um, okay, so, you know, that was a perfectly good ability. Um, and paladins are half casters, so they could eventually get up to fifth level spell slots, um, but they would get there very slowly. So this was never a mind-blowing ability. Uh, it just gave them some extra burst potential, so in, you know, a real clutch moment, they could they could burn their power and they could use it for some extra damage. Where this got exploitable was if you started to multi-class. Um, because it is a really early um, special ability for paladins, it was rife for multi-classing. So you could either um, pick up, I don't know, sorcerer or bard casting and get full casting, and then you'd have access to much higher level spell slots much earlier, and then you could use those for much higher damage potential. Or you could always do uh, Warlock and yep. then have short rest smiting. Yeah, so normal spell slots are only recovered after a long rest, so it's, you know, you use them up and then you're out of gas. But the Warlock, as Rob pointed out, uh, does get their spell slots back after a short rest. So that gave them some really serious uh, damage potential. And I was always a little unsure of whether or not that was intended, especially since the writers of the PHB said that multi-classing is an optional variant rule. Um, it was really not clear. And here they've said, <clears throat> Paladin, Divine Smite, page 85, you can expend any spell slot, not just a Paladin spell slot. So, yep, go nuts, Warlock Paladins, or, <laughs> or Moon Druid Paladin hybrids, where you're going to turn into a bear and then smite. Um, well, that actually might not work, because natural weapons... No, I think we checked that in the Monster Manual and in the descriptions. They are, they are weapon attacks. Um, but yeah, so you can do all those crazy shenanigans that you always sort of thought you could do, yep, you can definitely do them. Um, oh, I get to be a Hellfire Paladin. Yay! <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's definitely allowed. Um, next up, we have some clarifications for the Ranger. Um, so these, I don't know, I mean, the first one is just that if you're incapacitated or absent, uh, your Beast Companion can act on its own, focusing on protecting you and itself. It says it never requires your command to use its reaction, such as when making an opportunity attack. Um, personally, I, I always kind of assumed that. Um, again, glad to have it made crystal clear. And then Bestial Fury. When you command the beast to take the attack action, the beast can attack twice or take the multi-attack action if it has that action. So uh, in the, the initial printing of the PHB on, uh, at level 11, rangers could gain that ability. Uh, but it wasn't entirely clear what to do. It just said they can attack twice instead of once. Um, so if if a creature like a bear uh, was your animal companion and it had the multi-attack action, it wasn't clear if that meant you could use the multi-attack action twice or um, if you could attack twice with the claws instead of making one claw and one bite. Uh, but now they've, they've really spelled it out. If it only has one attack, it can use it twice. If it has the multi-attack action, it can use that instead and get both of its attacks. I think what this does make clear is that uh, previous to level 11, if you're a ranger, and you have a beast companion that has multi-attack, I think implicitly now you cannot use the multi-attack action unless you have this power. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's looking to min-max their, their beast companion and had a bear uh, looks like it's not quite as strong as it used to be. The only place um, that it's still a little bit unclear is with the cat companions, right? So the large hunting cats, tigers, panthers, um, many of them have access to um, an ability called Pounce, which specifies that if they move at least 20 feet in a straight line, and then immediately at the end of that hit an opponent with a claw attack, then it, uh, unless they pass a strength save, they uh, are knocked prone, and if the creature is prone, then the cat can make a bite attack as a bonus action. So I'm not entirely sure 
what the ramifications of this clarification are if you have that sort of um, animal companion. I think what it means is if you are a level 11 ranger and you have bestial fury and you, you send your lion in, um, then it moves those 20 feet and it can take the attack action, so it tries to claw. Whether it hits or not, it can then claw a second time, and as long as it has succeeded in knocking the opponent prone with those two attacks, uh, or with one of them rather, uh, then it can still spend a bonus action to bite. I think you can still get three attacks out of a lion now. Um, so that's kind of cool, but it's not entirely clear, which would have been nice from a rules clarifying errata. Well, <laughs> it, it confirms one thing. The ranger is still terrible. <laughs> I see no fixes for a favorite enemy. Yeah. Um, okay, sorcerer. Flexible casting. The created spell slots vanish at the end of a long rest. Um, I can't believe I never thought of that abuse. I wish I had noticed it. I think any good DM would have prohibited it anyway. But yeah, I mean, you can spend sorcery points to get spell slots. And then there's, I mean, in the regular rules, it says you can recover spell slots, you know, after a long rest. But, you know, there's normally no real good way to get more than your base allotment of spell slots. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, I guess if you were a real jerk and you could con your DM somehow, you would have been able to just sacrifice all your sorcery points to get extra spell slots and then just do that day after day until you had like a million spell slots. <laughs> it's like, all right, now we're going to go take on the, the BBEG, the evil necromancer who's controlling the whole city. You know, we're going to go and we're just going to cast Meteor Swarm all day long. How did you not ever pick that out? I figured you being... You. You would have done that. I, I don't know. I guess I missed something. I'm sorry. Um, too busy not playing a wizard. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. Um, okay, so now they've cleared it, that up. You, they go away. So no exploits there. Um, here's the next big one. Twinned spell. So they've clarified that to be eligible for twinned spell, a spell must be incapable of targeting more than one creature at the spell's current level. Hmm. So... That, that language is thrown in there the, at its current level uh, because certain spells like uh, blindness and deafness um, can only target one at, at the, the first time they become available, but then with higher level spell slots, they can target multiple creatures. Um, so to me, this, this jumps right out, and the, the biggest problem here is for Magic Missile and Scorching Ray. Each one gets quite a number of, of individual like bolts of magic, that can be used to target multiple creatures, but don't have to. So in our previous reading of the rules, you could spend like a, a ninth level spell slot and you could shoot out, <coughs> excuse me, um, like 10, 10 Scorching Rays, each one doing 2d6 damage, and then there'd be all kinds of crazy shenanigans you could pull with that, and then you could twin it because you were only targeting a single creature. But here they have cleared that up. It is capable of targeting more than one, so you cannot twin it, um, which would have been really cool but you can't, so that sucks. Oh, well. And, and more on that in a minute. Because the very next one is Elemental Affinity. The damage bonus applies to one damage roll of a spell, not multiple rolls. So Elemental Affinity is a sorcerer class feature uh, available to the Draconic Sorcerers, which allows them to add their Charisma modifier to uh, the damage of damaging spells of their chosen element. So if they have red dragon blood, then that's fire spells, so things like Scorching Ray, Fireball, etc. would get a bonus to damage. Um, that was one of the reasons that a twin Scorching Ray could be seriously awesome, was because each bolt, we thought, um, would get that bonus to damage. Now, there was a lot of debate about this on the forums, on the internet. Uh, some people thought one, some people thought another. Some people thought it was just a once per spell, not once per damage roll, you know, for individual bolts. Um, and then some of the 
the stuff that was tweeted was really unclear. It was like, you know, if you target multiple creatures, you can, but if you target all the same creature, you can't, and it really didn't seem to make any sense. Here they have really clearly spelled it out. Applies to one damage roll of a spell, not multiple rolls. So if you shoot three rays and you make three separate damage rolls, only one of them can get the boost. But now does that still mean that fireball, you still add your charisma to all the damage at the end? Yes. So I think this is actually a really big problem. Um, one of my big problems with casters in this version of the game um, is that it seems like the thing that they're best at these days is just AoE damage, right? Targeting a large number of creatures, and even though the, the damage per creature is not stellar, um, if you multiply it out across all the different targets affected, it's going to be hands down way better than anything that any of the other classes can do. Um, you know, you look at a fighter, he can do three times as much damage to a single target as a sorcerer or wizard is likely going to be able to do to that target. But if he's fighting 40 orcs, and they're all nicely clustered in a 20-foot radius sphere, <laughs> then, like you know... Like they do. <laughs> like they do. Then a fireball is, you know, going to do... Even at its base level, is going to do, like, 28 damage. And even if they all save and they only take 14, you know, 14 times, what, 40 targets? It's going to be an absurd amount of damage. Um, and now they're saying here that the damage bonus from Elemental Affinity... Um, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit with wizards. That there's a similar ability, Empowered Evocation, um, which allows wizards to add int to their, their uh, evocation spells. Same thing, only on one roll. So now you're going to take that 14 damage per target. You're going to add your 5. I mean, that's like a third more damage. That's a huge damage increase when you multiply it out over you know 20 or 40 targets. But it doesn't help you in the single target department. Um, so I think it's just really forcing casters more and more into that AoE damage and out-of-combat utility spell kind of niche. Um, so, it is what it is. Okay, um, next up, Wild Magic Surge. Um, so this one is actually kind of cool. Um, this was something that was always just a little bit vague as to how it worked. All right, A lot of the spells in 5e now require concentration, so a caster can't have more than one of them going at once. If they attempt to cast another spell that ca uh, requires concentration, the first one immediately ends. So wild magic surges, which only come up for a specific variant of the sorcerer, they can just sometimes randomly happen when you cast spells or use some of your special abilities. And uh, some of those effects can be new spell effects, and some of those spell effects are spells that require concentration. So, um, like here's an, uh, an example. Uh, on you roll a d percent for and you look up a table uh, on the table to find out what the result is on a 45 to 46 uh, you cast levitate on yourself that's, that's one of the effects and levitation is absolutely a concentration spell so the player and the dm were both left to wonder how does that interact with concentration <coughs> excuse me and uh, the casting of other spells so here they've said if the wild magic effect is a spell it is too wild, affected, uh, sorry, too wild to be affected by metamagic, and if it normally requires concentration, then it doesn't. All right, it just goes on for its full duration. <coughs> so that's actually really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's not really you casting the spell. It's just sort of you've tapped into a ley line and power is unleashed, but it's, you know, it's from the, the ether, not from you, and so you don't need to focus on it. It's just it's uncontrolled power. You, know, you couldn't stop it if you wanted to. <coughs> All right, next up we have the Warlock. Um, so, quick clarification, they have in the quick build Ray of Sickness, um, but it should have been Charm Person. 
I barely even noticed that when I first read through. Um, it always kind of made more sense. It was all about being sly and deceptive. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. Good, uh, good fix there. So continuing with the Warlock, um, the next one is Pact of the Chain. Uh, when you let your familiar attack, it does so with its reaction. Um, so this is an important clarification because that ability uh, spells out that um, when you attack, you can forego one of your attacks to let your familiar attack uh, instead. <coughs> so this just eats up your, your familiar's reaction. So it doesn't also get to make an attack of opportunity or anything like that. So it works really similarly to how a wizard's familiar would uh, use its reaction to deliver your touch spell if you cast it that way. Next up, Pact of the Tome. Any cantrip you cast with this feature is considered a warlock cantrip for you. I kind of already assumed that. Um, I didn't even realize that that was left unclear. Well, I know so. that they came up with Shillelagh, because Shillelagh normally does your wisdom. And it says specifically in the spell it uses your wisdom modifier for your attack and damage rolls. Really? I thought it was, uh, I thought it said it used your spell casting ability modifier. Does it? Right. I think well, so. Now I just put my money on the line. So. <laughs> Shillelagh. Shillelagh, of course. Shillelagh. Yeah, you got it right there. Yeah, your spellcasting ability instead of strength. Well, then I guess it's because it's on the druid list that I presumed that. Yep. So, so yeah, okay. I mean, I'm glad they're clearing it up, but I already kind of assumed that. Um, what else? Uh, oh, yeah, Eldritch Invocations. A level prerequisite is uh, in an invocation refers to the warlock level, not character level. Again, totally assumed that it would be super broken if you could take two levels of warlock, gain 12 more levels of something else, and then you know, take a couple more levels of Warlock and get the really high-level ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that one kind of also went without say, saying. And uh, Book of Ancient Secrets. The rituals don't need to be from the same spell list. Um, so this is actually really good. Uh, I was always a little unclear about this. <clears throat> it says you get to pick a couple of ritual spells from, um, you know, any class's spell list. It might even say lists, plural. But... Uh, it's not super clear whether it can just be, you know, three rituals from wizard or three from druid. Nope, you can, in fact, mix and match. So I'm glad they're making that clear as well. Next up, wizards. Um, so we already talked about empowered evocation. Um, and then there's two other little ones. Uh, your spellbook, you have to actually be able to cast a spell in order to copy a spell into it. So if you find a scroll of meteor swarm when you're level four, uh, you can't tuck it in there for later. And then start casting it at level 17. You actually have to hold on to the scroll and attempt to copy it in way, way later in the game. Um, And similarly, your spellbook does not contain cantrips. You just know those. Um, So we already talked about Empowered Evocation. Here's the other really big one. Overchannel. It says, this feature does not benefit cantrips. So we've probably made like three or four different podcasts that refer to that exact exploit. um, Because Overchannel's... Ex, you know, explicit downside is that it causes damage to you based on the spell's level, but cantrips have always been considered zeroth level spells. Mm-hmm. So we thought that that was a way for a warlock uh, to do a number, or sorry, a wizard to do a number of things. One, accidentally blow himself up um, <laughs> by taking like four million necrotic damage, um, and also be a respectable single target damage dealer, um, and yeah, and just use use what is it, fiery ray or, or ray of Firebolt. Firebolt, yeah, thank you. Um, to do, you know, good damage. Uh, nope. Can't yeah. use it. I guess the Warlock is now the king of single target damage. Yeah, well, at least sustained. So, yeah, okay, great. 
Uh, okay, so here's one that <laughs> upset you a bit uh, oh. over in equipment. They spell out that uh, loading a one-handed weapon, like a hand crossbow, requires a free hand. I'll tell you why this bothered me. Because I was trying to make the ranger work, and now I can't. <laughs> I was going to exploit hand crossbows with crossbow expert the feet. and horde breaker, so that anytime you get an attack, you get another weapon attack. But... Well, it's only once per turn. So but we're right. going to dual wield... I was going to duel with crossbows and go, you know, John Woo, and have <laughs> doves go everywhere as I just dive and just shoot people with crossbows, like... The Diablo 3 Demon Hunter. Hey, <laughs> hey, it works for Diablo. Why it doesn't work for us? Because it makes no sense. Like, shh, how does the crossbow shh, get loaded? Magic. It, but it's not. It's a mundane item. Look, you and can tear a, holes into the ether and summon yeah, if you're a wizard. centipedes. If well, actually, I don't think you can anymore. Yeah, you can't anymore, which is really upsetting. But it is. Um, but no, I mean, like, I, I get it. If you're like explicitly saying the laws of physics don't matter because I'm doing magic, but, but it and I I hate to be the kind of person that does this because I normally don't. Normally, I'm all about rules as as what they're meant to be. Interpret. But rules as written, it said removes the loading property. You come which, down so hard on me for trying to exploit little loopholes yeah, like it's that. Because you're a wizard. <laughs> I'm not a wizard. I never even play wizards in your campaigns. You have once. Well, yeah, and I'm going to again soon. And you're going to regret it. I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, so yeah. So this, I think, uh, came about a little bit in the um, whatever that... Uh, they just published something else where they clarified that that doesn't work with hand crossbows. You you do need to load them. Um, I think we just, all kind of knew that. I think we did, Even too. Even I knew that, but I was lying to myself. <laughs> I wanted to just really dual-wield hand crossbows like a boss. Well, you can for like one shot each and then you gotta like put one in your armpit and kind of awkwardly hold it while you fumble with your bolts and the pulling back the string and yeah. This is why I can't have nice things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Next up, reach. Uh, This property also determines the reach for opportunity attacks. Of course it does. Um, Glad to have it clear but yeah, I think we all knew that. That was like one of the principal values Uh of having a reach weapon for all editions of the game that I'm familiar with is you can hit people before they get to you. Yeah, but I'm sure that came up because of the wording for Sentinel, which we'll get into in a few minutes. Yep. Uh, Two-handed. This property is relevant only when you attack with the weapon, not when you simply hold it. Uh, So this was actually spelled out very clearly in previous editions. They said it was like if you were holding a greatsword with two hands, it was a free action to release it with one of your hands and then to grasp again with that second hand. So you could even do something with the hand in between attacks if you wanted to. And I think this has always sort of intuitively been so. Once again, nice to have it clear. Um, and another big one. Weapons. Unarmed strike doesn't belong on the weapons table. Wow. Um, so this has a lot of a lot of ripple effects. Uh, the, the principal one is that monks uh, punches, uh, which is one of the easiest ways to get a lot of extra attacks, especially early in the game and especially while still being able to multi-class, do not count as weapon attacks. Um, And as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, keywording is really, really important. So a lot of the other classes' abilities to add damage to attacks rely on them being certain types of attacks. So rogues can add uh, their sneak attack damage on finesse melee weapon attacks and ranged weapon attacks, but these are no longer weapons. So you now... A monk cannot sneak attack with his fists, even though Mike Merles tweeted that he said, sure, back before this was published. Um, Also, what's the other big one? Oh, yeah, smite. Smite has to be a melee weapon attack. So there were all kinds of cool things you might have been able to do with that. No more smiting fists? Nope. Um, Although, oddly, 
pretty sure a bear's claws do still count as melee weapons. So smite bear still approved <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, because druids. Yeah, because because potato. Because they need to be. <laughs> <laughs> because they need to be nerfed. Yeah, they do. Um, okay, what else? Multiclassing. Oh yeah, I think this one was pretty obvious. They say uh, in page one sixty four the class features. Uh, they clarify, you gain the starting equipment of your first class only. Yeah, I, I think we all kind of assumed that. Um, that represented your life before you became an adventurer, and if you gain a second class, you, you're you still an adventurer. You still have whatever you have. Yeah. Oh, um, man, you're telling me I could read books and suddenly gain more things? <laughs> I've been doing college wrong. <laughs> okay, feats. Um, athlete. Uh, I don't know why anyone would ever take this feat, but whatever. Um, the third benefit you should uh, should instead say climbing doesn't cost you extra movement. The actual language in the book is that it doesn't have your movement. But I guess there are other penalties that could apply. Um, grappler, ignore the third benefit of it. It refers to a non-existent rule. The third benefit, in case you're wondering, uh, is uh, it refers to um, creatures more than one size larger than you automatically succeeding on their, their grapple checks to escape. This says, just forget all, all that. Now, the feet says you don't have to worry about that, but I guess that means that even without the feet, you don't have to worry about that. So I guess a halfling can grapple a dragon. So I can have a luchador halfling, and he I, can just grapple dragons and I, suplex them? I guess. <laughs> oh um, my god. Yeah, I mean, I think it, at that point, like, a, a sensible DM would have to rule that uh, the halfling is merely clinging to the dragon. <laughs> yes, you're holding on to the dragon. Not I roll to, to pin. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, Natural 20. Right. It's a skill check, not an attack roll. Doesn't Damn. <laughs> anyway, um, magic initiate. Uh, the feat's limit on casting the first level spell applies only to the casting given by the feat. So the reason this might have been unclear is that it's possible to know a spell from your class features, and then if you took that feat, um, say you were multiclassing, right? Say you started off as a fighter, and then you took Magic Initiate, and you wanted to learn um, Cure Light Wounds, or just Cure Wounds, it's called. So then, let's say you multiclass into Paladin, or, or Cleric, or something, and you gained that, that spell, um, but the, the feat says you can only cast it once until you take a long rest, it does not extend that restriction onto your spellcasting granted by other class features. So if you have another way to cast it, you can still do that. Um, I don't think anybody would have tried to put that limitation on, but nice that they told us. Uh, Martial Adept. The superiority die is added to any others you have, no matter when you gain them. Uh, this, I guess, could have been a problem if somebody was a higher level uh, battlemaster and had more than four superiority dice. Uh, and then this says you get an extra one. Yeah, but it says if you already have superiority dice, you gain one more. Yeah, I'm not really sure why that was why that was unclear, um, or or maybe or who even plays Battlemaster? <laughs> no, Battlemaster's fine. <sighs> yeah, that's what they said about Tome of Battle. Oof, mm. it's still a sore spot to me. <laughs> um, maybe maybe they were saying if uh, maybe you were a low level Battlemaster and you had your four, and then you took this, and then. You gained another level to the point where you got a fifth from your class. This that wouldn't overwrite the one gained by the feat. You would still get an extra one from your feat, no matter what. So whatever you're supposed to have, you have one more. Uh, next up, polar master. The bonus attack uses the same ability modifier as the main attack. I'm really not sure why that was why that was needed. Uh, 
all my friends always assumed that that was the case. I guess maybe um, this is if, if somebody's looking at the two weapon fighting rules and they see that you don't add your ability modifier to the damage on your offhand attack unless you have the fighting style. Maybe they're saying, no, 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 no don't, don't worry about that. It's just an extra attack you make. You still get to add your strength to hit and to damage. You know, calm down. I don't know. I always assumed that. I guess clarification is always good. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you fought with a quarter staff like a two open fighter, yeah, you would have those penalties. But can you well, even do that in this game? Nope. Ugh, never mind. Disregard. <laughs> uh, you're thinking of older versions. I sure am. It's so older, hard. better days. <laughs> um, okay, Sentinel. Uh, ignore quote within five feet of you end quote and the second benefit. Um, so that's the one where creatures within five feet of you provoke attacks of a. Uh, sorry, opportunity attacks from you, even if they take the disengage action before leaving your reach. So if you have, um, you know, a reach weapon like a halberd, um, then if they leave from 10 feet, they still provoke. What's interesting to me about this clarification is that they did not go on to say when it, the third benefit, which reads, when a creature within five feet of you makes an attack against a target other than you, uh, and that target doesn't have this feat, you can use your reaction to make a melee weapon attack against the attacking creature. So, basically, you're hanging out next to your squishy wizard buddy, and the orc attacks your squishy wizard buddy instead of you, bam, that provokes an op. Um, but that the feat says only if they're within five feet. So, the errata does not cover that benefit. So you still have to be within five feet for that to one to work. So much for that glaive you were using. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get that. Okay, uh, Tavern Brawler. The feat doesn't give you proficiency with unarmed strikes since you're already proficient. Remember, they just a little while ago told us that unarmed strike is not a weapon. It's it's just a thing that people can do. So, <laughs> okay. Um, weapon master, the chosen weapons must be simple or martial. Um, when I first read this, I initially thought, well, what other weapons are there? Uh, and then I brought up the possibility of monster weapons. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you look in the monster manual for uh, the Minotaur, the Dao mm -hmm. type of genie, they have like a maul that's 3d6 damage. Which is really good. I mean, I guess under some caveat you could explain that to a dm well it's a different weapon but i always just presumed it was because the creature was wielding it right i honestly i don't know um but to me this just means any possible use you could have found for the weapon master feat has been eliminated so just don't ever take that feat and you won't have to worry about this rule well man unless you want that boost of strength or dexterity yeah but you take a feat instead of Shh. an ability boost so you're just giving up stats i know i know it, it's dumb <laughs> Okay, um, we are on to using ability scores. Um, so hiding. The DM decides when circumstances are appropriate for hiding. Also, the question isn't whether a creature can see you when you're hiding. The question is whether it can see you clearly. Um, I'm actually really glad they put this one in because you, know, you don't always have to be behind a box, right? If you have a cloak that looks just like a rock and it's covered in dust and you're in a field of rocks, they could see you clear as day and just not recognize what they're looking at as a hobbit and <laughs> instead think that they're just seeing a boulder, um, yeah. especially if it's an elven cloak. Well, um, didn't this come up in a campaign that you had where you guys were hiding in a snowstorm and yeah. yet the creature, the DM said, well, the creature passed the check. It sees all of you, even though you were all obscured by a snowstorm. Yep. Yeah, actually, what we had done was there was like a, a hollow in the side of a, a cliff, but it was... Um, and it, there was a huge blizzard going on, and so we pulled out our like the tarp part of our tent, and we anchored it so that it would collect with snow. And then it just looked like, you know, a continuous flat piece of the cliff covered in about a foot of snow. And somehow it just found us anyway. And I was like, that's 
BS. I don't know. I think he said that it smelled us, so we couldn't really argue that. But. Uh, I think it's that the DM didn't know how to work passive perception. Yeah. Oh, well, if he passed the number, that means he sees you. No, that means he gets to now roll an active perception. It's not how that works. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I like this one. Um, stealth rules have always been a little tricky in practice. You know, they can be very clear on paper, and then when you're actually in that situation, it's like, well, wait, what, what do I do? Do I even get to roll? Like, So now they've, they've kind of explained how how you should go about adjudicating that but at the same time spelling out that it really is up to the dm and here's some guidelines all right next up adventuring uh the rules for suffocation uh if you run out of breath you can't regain hit points or be stabilized again until you can breathe um so this is good they they had very clear rules on what happens as you start to suffocate and how long it takes until that happens um but you know, and once you do, you're actually down to zero and you're dying. Um, but presumably, you could just receive a cure wounds and as kind of a workaround for needing air. But they've <laughs> kind of spelled out, no, you can't do that. It doesn't work. You actually have to be able to breathe. So, okay, good. Uh, next up, vision and light. A heavily obscured area doesn't blind you, but you are effectively blinded when you try to see something obscured by it. Um, I'm sure there's a time when the distinction would be really important. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Would that be like trying to see someone through a snowstorm? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty no, accurate. What, I, what came to mind for me is like if somebody casts a spell darkness and they create you know, a 20-foot radius globe of impenetrable darkness, and then you can't see the, you know, the caster in there who's hiding in it. He's probably a warlock with devil sight, and he can see you just fine. What a jerk. But then you know, when the warlock's rogue friend comes up behind you, you're not blinded. Like, you can see the rogue. He does not get sneak attack. It's, you know, he's just attacking you as normal. But then when you try to see the warlock, even though you don't have the blinded condition, um, when you're trying to perceive him, you still do that as though you were. I guess that makes sense. Um, Wait, but why wouldn't you be blinded against that world, the, against that rogue? I mean, well, if you're not in the 20-foot radius. Oh, oh. Yeah, you're outside of the globe of darkness. So you're not blinded, but when you look into it, you might as well be fair enough okay yeah so i don't know that's really the only thing i can come up with off the top of my head where that distinction would matter um oh yeah here's another one the long rest um so they clarify that uh you regain at least one hit die when you finish a long rest the the published rules had said you can get half of your total um but if you're level one you only have one hit die so if you can recover half of those usually in D D, you round down so that would mean that if you were being a, you know, a real jerk about it to your players, you would say, nope, you can't recover a hit die until you reach level two. <laughs> but I think that's a little too austere, and I'm glad that they said, yeah, you can always get one back. Um, all right, just a couple sections left, the combat sections and spells. So combat, the ready action, you have until the start of your next turn to use a readied action. I think that makes total sense. I didn't even realize that wasn't in there. Um, melee attacks. The rules on unarmed strikes should read as follows. It's, okay, this is just more unarmed strike clarification. It, they're really trying to cover you know all their bases, cross all their T's and dot all their I's. Unarmed strikes are not weapons anymore. That's that's it. <laughs> um, there's a whole long paragraph about it, but that's that's the meat of it. I don't know why they're punishing monks. The monks are overly powerful. Well, no, I mean, it doesn't really change monks that much. It just changes monks who are hybridized with paladins and rogues and swashbucklers and other weird things. Uh, I I see that as 
not a problem. Well, yeah, I mean, so, like, a pure monk is going to be just as effective. It's not going to impact any of their abilities at all. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, like, I'm pretty sure there weren't, weren't even... Oh, you know what? There is one interaction aside from that. Well, you still have to multi-class for it. The, uh, the, the duelist fighting style adds plus two damage whenever you attack with a one-handed weapon and your other hand isn't holding a weapon or something like that. But basically, it, it would have applied to a, a monk's fist. Now it won't because it's not a weapon. <clears throat> okay, spells. Paladin spells. I, I gotta say, I have been wondering about this since August when they, you know, last year when they first published this book. Um, the first thing I did was go right to the spells, and then I was like, ah, oh, trap the soul, that sounds cool, and, and destructive, you know, wave, that's really awesome. Um, or sorry, destructive smite. And so, yeah, anyway, we looked through and we couldn't find them in the, the spell descriptions, and we're like, wait, what's going on? Where is it? So apparently... They they finally got around to that. Um, the paladin spell list should include destructive wave, not destructive smite, and the wizard spell trap the soul shouldn't appear on the spell list. It's included in the imprisonment, I think, is what it's yeah. called. Yeah, I don't remember that one off the top of my head, but you knew it. All right, and then the other ones are actually really uh, really small corrections. So all the mass healing options, like mass cure wounds and mass heal, um, they've been changed to evocation rather than conjuration. Not 100% sure why, um, but, yep, yeah, okay. Uh, and then, like, Revivify and... Uh, where's the other one? Oh, yeah, Revivify is the only uh, resurrection spell that hadn't been categorized as necromancy. Um, so anytime you're bringing somebody back from the dead, it's a necromancy spell, not a conjuration like the other heals. So if you look up Resurrection and True Resurrection, they're necromancy. But for some reason, Revivify was classified as conjuration. So they've made it more consistent. That is now necromancy. Um... Then uh, Phantasmal Killer and Weird, which are almost the same spell, um, they had apparently had their, their saving throws being made at the beginning of a, of a victim's turn, um, but they've changed that to be in line with all the other spells. They are now made at the end of each of their turns. And what else? Oh yeah, and then the, there's Polymorph and True Polymorph. Um, it, it didn't say that you couldn't affect a target that had zero hit points, and they've added in that language. Yeah, I so. guess that's a pretty smart... Way to cover up a murder. Yeah, right. You could you could get into some tricks. Uh, another one I'm embarrassed that I missed. Like that could have been so useful. Oh, I didn't just <laughs> kill the king. Oh, I just killed uh, the king's assassin. I'm the king. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I really should play a wizard. I'm a bad person. Well, don't forget, illusions can still do all sorts of things. Ah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> you should play an illusionist, dude. Um. Oh wow. Okay, I think that that covers it. Um, so druids are still broken, um, paladin smiting is still full and ripe for shenanigans, um, all the ways to make wizards and sorcerers really good don't work, uh, except if you just want to nuke hordes of, uh, orcs, which I guess if you want to just blow stuff up, cool. And, uh, no crossbow fun for you, Rob? No, I know, it hurts me. Monks can't do anything exciting except just hit people repeatedly in the face, no, uh, Nope. Do you think there's a lot of things that they still need to address? Yeah, yeah. PHP? Yeah, absolutely. Wild Shape. <clears throat> Wild Shape. Wild Shape. Favorite enemy? I mean, it doesn't make sense how... I don't, I don't know how Favorite Enemy would fix the Ranger. Well, Rangers kind of blow. Well, I mean, well, yes, that's true. They're, and they've always kind of been the poor man's fighter. They're, they're bad at everything. Unless they're, unless they're finding their hated foe, they're super... <laughs> <out of it. laughs> 
But, I mean, you have the Oathbreaker who gets his charisma to damage uh-huh. at level 7, and yet the Ranger gets it at level 20. Oh, man, that well, rogue who's doing 10d6 sneak attack is sure going to, you know... Yeah, oh, it's so broken to let the Ranger add 2 damage, you know, no more than once per, what is it, short rest or something? Or, like, on no, one, it, a single it, it, attack? No, it's per single either attack roll or damage roll. Ooh. Oh, my Spit God. in my mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is for Rangers. Uh, I remember reading um, one of Triant Monk's guides and uh, Pathfinder for Rangers, and I actually kind of wanted to play one after that. But in 5e, I can't really see myself doing it. Uh, I've always played Rangers. I've played Rangers since the beginning. It's Robin Hood, but I guess I can't. Not in this version. You could. You just suck. So, again, I guess I'll just make him a fighter instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any, any build I make had... Make a fighter, would... call it a ranger. Well, yeah. yeah, any... Because I was trying to make the ranger good because I watched your guys... Or watched. I listened to your guys' podcast with the ranger with Matt, and he was so gung-ho about it being awful. Yeah. And I, I set a good two weeks aside to try and make it better, and I, I can't... Any build that worked for the ranger now either doesn't work or it just works better with a fighter. Oh, what, because of your crossbow trick? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, not, not really pleased to admit that, but... And even their spells are terrible. Oh, Cordon of Arrows. I got a bunch of <laughs> traps. But it does 1d6 damage per arrow. Yeah. It's, really? Most of the things that a ranger can do, somebody else can do better. I mean, and they have the worst spell cast, and they're worse than paladins. Like, why didn't you just take the paladin one and make it for rangers? Yeah. Yeah, the, that whole uh, spontaneous caster thing for them is just so punishing. So we need a whole page of errata just for rangers. Just, they, should just, yeah. they should just remove ranger and make it a new archetype for fighters. Oh. Do that, or, or even for paladins, or for paladins, yes. I, I mean, you could easily have where it's like instead of getting a fourth attack, they now have their pet attack. So that way Something they can like have that. two attacks of themselves, and their pet can have two attacks. So it still has the flavor of a ranger, but instead of having, you know, oh, well, it has too many attacks, then that's the fighter's shtick. All right, make it part of the fighter. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways I think you could fix it, but the errata did not address rangers being bad or druids being op, huh. or paladins being op. <laughs> or warlocks being OP. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Check us out online, orclabs.com, and Twitter at orclabapps.